Welcome to The Remarkables, Grant Thornton's podcast that seeks to uncover stories about remarkable people doing incredible things for their community, bettering the world for future generations and inspiring others to do the same. I'm Rebecca Archer, and today I'm joined by Carmel Hoare and Beck Mack from Chrysalis, an initiative designed to celebrate place, support artists and stimulate business. Aimed at fostering philanthropy within the community, Chrysalis creates artist-led projects such as landmark murals, opera or tightrope walking in unexpected places. Welcome, Carmel and Beck. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Rebecca. Pleasure, pleasure. What a fabulous initiative. I'm really excited to chat to you today about the creative and arts sector. So the COVID-19 pandemic was really the catalyst for Chrysalis Projects. Now, can you tell us a bit more about what exactly kick-started this initiative? I am a practising artist, media producer and also do public work. And Carmel was working, I think, at interstate government at the time. And uh, the year before, I'd been to the Venice Biennale working with the artist Richard Bell. And so in, in I guess, like a lot more regularly now, people in my uh, industry are very freelance. It's a gig economy. And so I had a whole series of gigs and events lined up for 2020. And within that first three weeks, of COVID, you know, really hitting, I had lost a whole year's of work. And so I remember Carmel came to my house and we sat around my kitchen table and we were going, oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> like not only have I lost all my work, all my friends have lost all my work. And, yeah. and then if all my friends have lost all my work, then then all our community of West End will be shut down. And if all mm. that's shut down, then all of us will be disconnected. So we kind of like got into that really, you know, as everyone mm. was back then coming to terms with the reality of this tsunami of insanity that was heading our way. And within that, because the kind of girls we are, we went, well, what are we going to do? We, we can't just sit here. We have to come up with a plan. We have to find a solution to these problems. And within that weekend, we identified those three, three things. If we could build a project that would employ artists, that would reactivate and revitalize businesses, and that would bring communities back together again through creative experiences, that would be a great project. We decided let's do 10, match 10 businesses with 10 artists or creatives and create 10 experiences. And that was Chrysalis. I guess, you know, I have been doing a lot of strategic policy framework for arts and culture and how we can build more opportunities in that space. And we saw this vacuum of vibrancy that happened. And as Beck said, she lost all of her work for the rest of the year. Our local business chains were, were falling apart. And we did some quick economic stats and we could see that over 1,800 jobs in our local area alone had been lost in that first three weeks. And what that looked like in economic terms is what they call the gross value add. And that equaled 148 million in Brisbane and 18 million alone in just West End, South Brisbane. So I guess that's where it started both from a from a practice perspective, a community perspective, a social perspective, and then this economic perspective, it gave us something to build from. How did you settle on the name Chrysalis Projects? Well, we have a wonderful friend, Caroline Gardam, who's a wordsmith. And the way that I work in Camel Works is like you build allies. So 
it's not just yourself, you're building a collective force that will join with you to move forward, particularly when these ideas are new and innovative, and it's almost your willpower and your energy of volition that will get them across the line. So you need as many people that are on board with you to, to make it happen. And, you know, just hearing the concept, like Chrysalis was perfect. Like we literally were going into hibernation. So why not in that period of time, these seeds that can then be incubated as an idea and an experiment can come out the other side and, you know, metamorphosize into, without sounding corny, the beautiful butterfly or the incredible <laughs> creation or the ultimate outcome, which are the projects and the experiences that Chrysalis was generating. And how has it positively uh, impacted on the community that you were basically rallying around? Can you give me some examples? We specifically set up the project or the experiment to really do an active piece of study on the social connections, the cultural awareness and the economic impact of our project. And at the core of that was this sense of connecting the community to the arts and what that meant for them in their place. Like how do we express the identity of the place? And when we went back over the surveys with some, you know, specific questions around that, which are all informed from, you know, cultural development network theory, we found that 97% of the people that were surveyed experienced a more positive sense of their place. And 80% of them were encouraged to seek more arts and culture. So from coming to our projects and listening to the stories and sitting in the audience listening to panel discussions around First Nations and, and post-settlement history and, and what that means to our community of West End in Boundary Street, we had people write back to us in the survey saying that, you know, they, they had conversations that they felt they were able to have in a more free way that they'd never had before because of this art-led discussion that we were capturing them in. And many, many people also experienced new ways of thinking and also we're talking about over 88% of them, I think it was, actually were inspired to pick up their own creative project after being a part of our project. So we feel like the social connections and the cultural connections through the project, we've found a really tangible way of measuring those impacts and getting both qualitative and quantitative measurements back. But what that does is give us this platform to really design meaningful projects that talk to people so it gives us a, a very clear curatorial baseline to start from and just on that point also more back then but still now people so felt disempowered everything we knew ceased to exist including places to go to work which is inconceivable even now when you think about it and so everyone was feeling at a loss what can we do mm -hmm. how can we help and what we built because our project is so community inclusive and community based and community driven, it gave people an opportunity, an entry point into doing something really proactive and really participate on a really meaningful level engagement mm. in projects that were changing mm. the landscape, changing the cultural conversation around First Nations people, gender based violence, all these big issues that sometimes we all shy away from even thinking about, let alone talking about, let alone being able to do something about it. What we see, Chrysalis, while it is creating art, it's also creating art with incredible power and meaning that the community can then be part of and own 
and therefore the power of it continues to reverberate for a very, very long time. There's that memory that I was connected to that every time they pass that mural or they pick up the tote that says artists against gender-based violence. Like, it's interesting how that all those little things keep binding us together mm. in a really positive mm. way. And I mean, I'm sure you'll agree a thriving creative sector is absolutely essential in society because it's often the key to things like innovation, driving sustainability, and also social inclusion, which, you know, themes you've already brought up and touched on. But it often challenges us to view or think about ideas and concepts differently. What makes you both so passionate, which it's clear you are so passionate about the creative sector? This is really perfect timing for what I did yesterday. So I was working with the Queensland College of Art, which is where our new emerging artists are, are being taught around visual arts and, you know, conversations and everything. And so I got to interview seven students and it really blew my mind. It just reminded me now why I'm so passionate about the arts, because the things that they were digging into were like things like relationships between bodies and machines in a mythological archetype, as if they're like an alchemist. And there was relationships between your body and medicine and how the reflection of glass can be a sort of a metaphor for our internal selves that we don't reveal who our external selves are. And another young man was creating this great work that was examining how so many people come to Australia as migrants and end up in Ubers, even though they're actually lawyers or doctors or architects. So all these things were being examined and turned on their head and with new ways forward to solve these problems or ideas. And I think mm -hmm. for me, that just summarised it. Art really allows us to understand inconceivable truths. It's not just the black and the white, it's the silver. And I think more and more as the complexity of our world grows and it feels like there's a real polarisation going mm. on around the edges, art is such a vehicle to be able to look at those things and have those conversations. Mm. Yeah, and just to riff off what Beck's saying, I think that, you know, we are living in such a complex world and every day it becomes more complex is the only word I can think of really and you know whilst we've got the operational to deal with and we've got the we, we can create innovation and we can pivot you know that word that was so overly used in the times of COVID where everybody's business was pivoting to adjust to the new economy and the new way of doing things I think beyond the creativity and the operational day-to-day -day of our world we see ourselves and we see arts and culture as the enabling activity that enables people to think differently and enables people to sort of feel like they can take care of their own place. There was one of the quotes that came back through the survey, which was, has really resonated to me. And it was, if you don't care about your own place, how can you care about the world? So this idea of the local being really valuable and if you can create value within your local community, your local businesses, employ local people that to do great imaginative, meaningful things that can move concentrically outwards into the world. It's the butterfly effect, you know, which brings us back to the idea of the chrysalis. If we can all if we can all experience our place in new and exciting ways and see what value we can each create, then it makes a complex world easier to manage, I suppose, and easier to be in. And Carmel, you've described yourself as the organiser for Chrysalis Projects. Now, you're also involved in MICA Projects. Can you tell mm. me more about your role in that particular initiative? 
So Microprojects is a social justice and equity not-for-profit organisation that's been working in West End, South Brisbane for about uh, nearly 30 years, I think. So they're an embedded attribute in our community. You know, there's not many people that live in this community that don't know of the work that Microprojects does. And I guess as an advocate for arts and culture and somebody that's worked, been working behind the scenes in the strategic end of things over the last, you know, 10 years or so, I made a really conscious decision about four years ago that I'd like to, I, I saw a correlation between arts and culture and the work that we do, enabling the types of projects that we do in placemaking and beyond. And the correlation to, you know, the bottom of Maslow's pyramid, I suppose, where, you know, I, I've been entitled and privileged and lucky enough to be working at the top of Maslow's pyramid for most of my career where I can express and individualise and work with others that do that. And this concept of what MICA does for social justice and homelessness and housing and domestic violence and do it every day over and over again up against the frustrations of our complex world and being, I guess, around that in the community and a lot of my friends and my partner work for the organisation, coming up against that, it really put a lens over how I could potentially contribute back into that world. And with the skills that I've got through creative industries, it's all about stakeholder engagement. It's all about, you know, community awareness. It's all about communication. It's all about collaboration. So when I was invited to work on the Brisbane Zero Homelessness Project, I jumped at the opportunity. And we've been able to embed creativity in a lot of the work that we've been doing at Micah Project. And we have partnered with them on a domestic violence project for the UN Women 16 Days. So there's a really interesting crossover there between the base of Maslow's Pyramid of you know, getting the baseline safety in place for people and where Beth and I almost always work is in the in the top part of that pyramid. So it's a really interesting journey day to day, week to week, month to month. And can I ask how it makes you feel on a personal level when you can see yourself helping small businesses through creating enriching experiences for residents and visitors to local communities? I mean, both Beth and I have been working in placemaking in different formats for you know a long time back before me but you know over the last 10 or 12 years it actually dates back to when I first started working in um, design and decoration and we would we had a couple of patrons who insisted on these very ornate hospitality environments and the patrons would allow us to do whatever we wanted to do so we would hand make everything we would engage local artists and artisans and makers to create these environments and they've got legacy you know they're still there LaRouche and Lychee Lounge and Cloudland they're all still there which proves that art and cultural producers really add legacy value to problem solving things and I guess I've always been intent on ensuring that the creative economy can be valued and our project with the experiment of Chrysalis has proven that theoretically we've proven you know social cultural and economic value and it's great to be able to sit with business people who have said the phone started ringing off the hook or 100% of our social media was our social media was doubled we couldn't believe what was happening like it's really wonderful to see the impact that we've had so yeah and from a cultural tourism perspective that's totally underestimated what value they can contribute to local businesses so just that little glimpse inside of the experiment shows us what is possible. So we're very proud of that. I'm very proud of it. Now, 
Beck, you're the artist. I'm interested to hear about the journey that led you to Chrysalis, you know, your background, how you got started. And I think you're also, I believe, the founder of arts media platform PopsArt, uh, which is the connection between the work that you're doing here and Chrysalis Projects. Can you kind of give us a bit of a sense of how that all comes together? I studied painting at QCA, which is why it was great to go back there yesterday and see how the old uh, university was going. But um, 20 years ago, believe this or not, I started a show called Love TV, where I was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And (laughs) Aphrodite would appear in a hot pink TV in a public space in her clam. And she would then host conversations about love and place as a public performance. And this work took me around the world. I worked with the city of New York. I took it through the five boroughs in 2012. I worked with city of Sydney. I've worked with city of Parramatta, I've worked with Brisbane. And it's really, that's been the foundation for all the work I do now, because I recognize that really powerful projects can happen in community when you give people a platform to share their stories about love and passion, because that's what is the core of all of us. And that is the great equalizer. And I also learned through that project because we had to manage multiple stakeholders, multiple partners. You had to move through communities. You had to work out how to connect with them on a genuine level so that they felt the project was theirs. And it also taught me how to make, how you can build a model that you can scale up then, and then you can develop and present in multiple places because that's what Love TV was. Then that evolved into Pops Art, which is my arts media project where I go live to exhibitions and openings and interview artists from those places because, again, it's those themes of art's beautiful and it celebrates courage and its resilience and survival and all the emotional things, but it also opens up conversations around race and gender and class. And so that's why I love sharing my knowledge of art to a broader audience and a broader community because It literally is called Pops Art because it's about popping the bubble. You know, art is for everyone, but I offer an access point to a broader audience. That's not dumbing it down, but it's still making it engaging and entertaining and insightful. There's a a French word called an animateur, and an animateur is the artist that introduces a new art form to, to an audience. So I see myself as an animateur in the role as Pops Art. So when it came to Chrysalis, I could apply all those learnings of placemaking, of community engagement, of production, and then also of communicating around the arts and building a broader audience. And then along with Carmel's really great planning and strategic thinking, we are a really great combination. And we're both, you know, really passionate about it in the same place, but very different skill sets and very different ways of doing things. So it's a pretty great combination, I think. And the biggest thing I've learned, and this is out of out of Love TV, it's, it is the livability of a place, but it's also the lovability and it's about the place connection and it's the connection you have the, for the place, the love you have for your place that gives you that sense of purpose and pride and connection. And I think Chrysalis projects are about the lovability of places. I was imagining looking through old pictures of, you know, my suburb where I grew up and the connection that you feel and how nostalgic mm. you feel about that or a landmark in the city where you're living that you walk past and you just get that real almost electrical current going through you because you have such a connection to place. So evocative. Now, your initiative uh, also is aiming, obviously, to encourage a new culture of philanthropy by paving a new way of what philanthropic giving actually means. 
can you tell me why should someone be inspired to come on board and support this wonderful project? Where it came from, I guess, was the the COVID lockdown. And we had been toying around with this idea of people, we knew that people valued art in their places. And just like you called out then, Rebecca, it's about the place of attachment. And we've done a lot of sort of thinking and writing and reading and researching around what place attachment is. And we really believed that if we could build meaningful projects, the idea of crowdfunding, we didn't know if it would work or not. We didn't know if the philanthropic, um, and we called it citizen philanthropy. So whether it was two, whether you could afford two dollars or two thousand dollars, it wasn't an elitist form of philanthropy because a lot of philanthropy in this country is, you know, the science and the arts. It's quite inaccessible. It's quite elitist, and you're part of a foundation or you're part of a giving circle. You know, it's seen as something that the wealthy do. And what we wanted to do was create this new entry level of philanthropy where if you believed in the project and you wanted to see the project happen in your community, if you could afford $2 or the cost of a coffee, that was okay. You were a part of it. You were on the journey with us. You're on the train. You're on the bus. Mm. And it really was what we were hoping or what we, we hoped to do was to en- enable a maturity of the discussion around philanthropy in this country. We believe we did that, you know, like we, we really, we had, I don't know, 300 people raised over $62,000 for our project just from the community alone. I completely agree with what Carmel's saying. And I, I mean, for us, and this was part of the work we had done before Chrysalis, mm. was a lot of conversations around the economy, the arts is broken. Mm-hmm. And mm. I'm not letting the government off the hook on this. They do have to invest in the arts. It's really mm. crucial. But uh, the way the, the economy of the arts is set up in Australia, it's very grant heavy. It's very mm. grant reliant. So what we were saying is we've all got to take responsibility. If you want great art in your place, then you can invest in it so that Mm. you personally, your community is building its own place in the vision of what they want. So again, we're a vehicle that allows those visions to manifest and become real in the world. And I think we are in a time when people are just taking things into their own hands because they have to. Like when you see the political movement of the Teals and, you know, there there is this groundswell of like, well, the old systems are broken and we we need to invent new ways of doing things. And that's what our challenge was. Like if we want to create great projects, employ our artists, revitalise our businesses and combine the communities together. This is the vehicle, but you're all part of it. So I think the philanthropic giving was part of that. The way people could participate was through their money, and they're, but they're investing in their place and therefore themselves mm. and therefore mm. the goodness of all. You've mentioned the you know level of government investment that's needed. Now, I just wanted to take that a little bit further. I mean, a lot of your work at Chrysalis appears to be done at the local level. I'm interested to hear your opinion on what all of the different tiers of government, be it local, state and federal, should be doing to actually ensure financial viability of creative artists and people who are working in this sector. We've got lots of ideas around this and we, like Beck said, the government does have a role to play in a healthy creative and cultural economy. And there's lots of research and there's lots of writing out there. And we feel very much that we are sick of talking about the theory, like we've proven what can work. We know the impact. We know the social, the cultural, the economic, even the environmental impact. We know a whole range of these types of activities when they are embedded in the community with meaningfulness 
that actually do return on the investment. And I think our investment, when we spoke to uh, Queensland, I think the investment returned for them about 5.6 for the dollars that they gave us. So every dollar that they granted us for this experiment, which has been really, really wonderful that we've been able to prove that. But I guess what we want to do is take the conversation beyond that. We're sick of having to have these conversations about the types and the amounts and, you know, what gets what, and there's only this pot of money, so where does it go? Does it go to performing arts? And, you know, we're, we're kind of, I'll speak on my own behalf, I'm actually, have, I've worked in that field and I've worked in those grant-making and policy-making discussions. And I think we keep missing the point that this is actually a very valuable part of the create of the economy of the country, and we should be investing in that and encouraging matching investment in new ways and innovative ways. And you know, one of the actions we have put out there into the universe is that you know there's public art policies in every almost every single state in every single local government. There's public art policies that are sitting there that are stale, they are not fit for purpose anymore. And we can really take a close look at those. And, you know, if we're talking to a developer who's going to spend $30 million or $130 million on a, pro on a project, then a percent of that public art investment as a condition of that development could be going back to creative placemaking, could be going back to a slush fund that is actually um, building a program of activities, not only over one year, but up to five or 10 years, you know, that could really benefit the whole community that is around that particular development, that bridge, that hospital, whatever it might be, um, rather than one piece of public art. And I've worked in public art management for a long time. Public art is a great monument to development, but I do believe that the policy that we've had around Australia, it needs to be innovative. We need to do more with that pot of money so that it goes beyond the 20 or so people that actually make money from that. We know with our project, we spent of the 80,000 that we were granted by Arts Queensland, we employed over 100 artists and makers for 12 months. Small gigs, but we were able to spread that money very, very widely through placemaking activities. And that's the, the new concept we want to start talking about is we can actually do this in a much more smart and effective way that can supercharge the built environment and create employment pathways and the offset is benefit for local businesses and communities. So it's the theoretic side of it, but we're happy to talk to local, state and federal. The Australian arts cultural policy is being rewritten at the moment. And we've put a small submission to talk to that exact thing. But we're very open to talking to anybody about these ideas and, and aligning with people on these ideas. Yeah. And part of the issue is, without being a whinger, you know, we've been at quite a few levels, like meetings with, say, peak bodies that aren't creative industries. And numerous times we've heard we've never had anyone from the arts at this table. Mm -hmm. And there's no one at the arts in the table in Canberra, really. And there's no one at the arts in the table on many boards. The boards fall from the, the corporate sector, which is great. But what about, you know, if we really want to have diversity in our boards, in our cities, and that's, you know, we really need to spread the pool. And I think as much as um, when it comes to government and funding, we are advocates for that as well. So we're happy to go and talk to anyone anytime about the value of arts, both economical and cultural, when it comes to getting money this way into the pool that feeds so many. 
And just finally to both of you, Beck and Carmel, can you tell me anything about any remarkable and maybe transformational art and culture projects that are in the pipeline? Well, the most exciting one, <laughs> which is the one that started it all, is the Vernon Archie mural. It's 25 metres long, four metres high, that is wrapping around Avid Reader, which is Avid Reader is the bookstore in West End that is the heart and soul of our place. This is our, our first project. And Vernon Archie is a world-renowned international artist, First Nations man, and on this mural are the names in his art form, his text art based work, are the names of all Brisbane based authors. And in the front of those on surfboards are First Nations Brisbane based authors. So that's our perfect Christmas project, money raised from the public for that work. It is absolutely about the place and the creatives of the place and it's by a world-renowned artist so that's the next one we have in the pipeline we're also really working on a project around gender-based violence and for us ultimately we really want to advocate for making Brisbane the safest city for women and children in the world and that's a big call but we see coming into the Olympics that if we're talk we're pouring all this money into this big sporting event, what makes a city really important and really livable and lovable is safety. And so we're not talking more cops on the street at all. We're talking arts and culture in our places, revitalizing that that makes a safer place. So that's sort of something else that we're working on. That's a chrysalis project where we're developing as well. With the Olympics coming up in Brisbane in 2032, I can only imagine that you're going to have people beating down the door to get advice or to collaborate with you, really. Have you had any interest on that front so far? Well, we are, and I'll let Carmel talk to this, developing a very interesting, we're basically digitising ourselves. So Carmel and I are just two people. We've got an incredible model that we know we can scale up and that we can not only work with in Queensland, but Australia and the world. And so we have found a really incredible lineup of partners from AI developers mm. to place-making specialists in the urban realm to work with us to, to develop a digital placemaking app. So that's something we're working on. And I hand it over to Carmel to continue that conversation. Yeah. Again, when we came through the study, when we when we looked at people that were involved in the experiment, the crystal experiment, 88% of the urbanists, we call the urbanists the urbanist designers and the architects and the local government people and the state government people that were involved in the project, we gave them a survey to understand where they were sitting in all of this and 88% of them were actively creating cultural infrastructure projects at this time but more than half of them stated that they found it really hard to access cultural production talent so people that could they could work with and we know ourselves as people who create curate these types of projects it's really about your network it's really about who you know where they are how you want to tell that story. And what we've done is we've worked, we're partnering with QUT Design Lab, ARM Hub, Patrick, Dr. Patrick Silby from Venture Pro and Urban, the urban planners, to build what we're calling the Crystal Placemaker, which is a digital platform that creates combines technology 
for a purpose. So we're streamlining ourselves, I guess, into a way that people can link into and integrate local artists, local stories and businesses to enhance the place that they are living and working in and create cultural tourism experiences. So we're uber excited about that. We see yeah. that as a, as a game changer for us and for our community and for our sector. If we can provide employment pathways directly to the right people for the right reasons at the right time, we see that as a really, really important shift over the next 10 years. And certainly as we invest in the Olympics and invest in this city, Brisbane and other cities, we've designed it for regional, we've designed it so that it's transferable to any place in the world. Just quickly, every other Olympics has had a cultural program, like a cultural Olympics. And so we'll be, we're lobbying with uh, like minds to make sure that the cultural heart and soul of Brisbane, if we want to uh, present the world ourselves, we need to have a really clear cultural identity. And so we need mm. to start now, not mm. in 10 years. So mm. that's why it's really crucial to start investing in arts and culture in place so that we can generate that really genuine, powerful cultural identity so people don't just come for the Olympics, that they come here ongoingly. Carmel and Beck, it's been so good to talk to you today in such an interesting conversation. How can people get in touch with you or perhaps follow your journey? Is there a website that they can go to? What's the best way? Yeah, so we're Chrysalis Projects. That's our website. And we're also on Instagram, Chrysalis Projects. Uh, we're both on LinkedIn, Beck Mac, Carmel Hoare. We have events. If you want to sign up for our events, like just get in touch with us via any of those social media ways. We're beginning to generate a newsletter list. So, you know, send us your details and we'll put you on our list. Don't be shy. That's fantastic. Thank you both so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure to meet you both and hear from you about this brilliant story you've got to tell. Thank you. And thanks. What a great um, initiative this is as well. So thanks for shining the spotlight on all those remarkable people out there. Yeah, good on you, Grant Thornton. Thank you very much. If you liked this podcast and would like to hear more Remarkable stories, you can find and subscribe to the Remarkables podcast by Grant Thornton Australia on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Spotify.